Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I am Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another in a series of shows from a venue that I find extremely exciting just because of the great people who are here. It's the National Tribal Health Conference. It's put on by the National Indian Health Board. This is the 35th annual such event. It's taking place in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And across from me is someone who is not a stranger. If you've tuned into the broadcasts from this venue already, her name is Joni Bakavoy. Dr. Bakavoy, it's good to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be here. Joni, you did a, a segment with me earlier in the conference. That segment featured some of your work as a, a person with experience in public health. You've got a doctorate in that discipline You'd been working a lot over the years with infectious diseases and sepsis prevention. If people missed that show, I thought it was a great one. Thank you. So, uh, by the way, if you're just tuning into American Indian Living for the first time, we do have our shows archived. One of the easiest places to find them archived is at the lifetalk.net website. Uh, Lifetalk Radio is a uh, radio network that carries the show. Another great network that carries it is Native Voice One, and Native Voice One can be found at NV1, NV for Native Voice, then the number one, dot org. So either of those uh, places will help you get connected with archive shows, and one of them was that great show, I really found it great, on sepsis prevention, overwhelming infections if you want to avoid them. Dr. Joni Bakavoy has worked in that area with many hospitals over the years, and you can get her insights on that previous broadcast. Well, today, Joni, we've got you back because not only do we have a radio show called American Indian Living, but we have also got a magazine called American Indian Living, and that magazine featured an article on resilience. And I know this is a topic that is near and dear to your heart. Absolutely. And actually, it was a really great article. Um, I loved how it featured a story, and it talked about um, someone's journey and understanding of their resilience in their own life. I enjoyed the story as well. And some of our listeners uh, know the name of Ed Dunn. Dr. Ed Dunn actually wrote that article on resilience. Ed is a Native American from Canada who has, uh, uh, I guess up there they, they usually call them aboriginals, First Nation peoples. Uh, Ed has been featured on the show. In fact, he is the uh, one of the co-hosts of the series, the video series called Native New Health. Oh, nice. And uh, Ed has uh, shared a lot of great material, great story about his own life mm -hmm. and some of the challenges he went through being demeaned by a, a boss mm -hmm. at the workplace. As you read that story, and maybe many of our listeners have gone to uh, the American Indian Living website, maybe they've, they've read the article already in the magazine, or maybe they picked the magazine up at a tribal health clinic or a tribal health center, they're thinking of the story. But as you read through that story, Joni, what resonated with you? Well, what resonated with me was that it's very common to go through real 
big challenges in your life. Mm. And a lot of times those challenges relate to you personally, like personal attacks on you from someone or your perceived personal, you know, their, your perception that maybe they have it out for you. Mm-hmm. And um, not everybody has a great way of interacting with someone else. And sometimes they take out their frustrations on someone else. Wow. And so I've seen that very common in healthcare, and I see it in public health, and I see it common in just daily, you know, interactions with people. Yeah, what's what's interesting is I thought Ed wrote the article very skillfully because the way he describes the attacks in the workplace, uh, actually he never mentions that he was being discriminated against because he was native. But as you read through the story, yeah. you know, you're kind of asking that yeah. question, weren't you? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so a lot of demeaning comments, making him feel worthless, and he basically as he goes through the article, he says, even as a young man, he had to make a choice, yes, right? Right. And, and what is that choice really that, that all of us have to make if we're on the end of abuse, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, or whether we, you call it abuse, you can call it bullying, you can call it disrespect. I mean, I'm not saying those things are right. all equivalent, right? but what kind of options do we have? Well, I I liked what he said, how he realized he had control over his own emotions. Mm. And also he uh, mentioned about the heaping coals of fire, which is from his faith and from something from he had read in the Bible and for what he had learned from his family. And it's basically to give kindness back to somebody who may not be treating you well. I mean, this is such an interesting concept. I mean, people say heaping coals of fire. coals of fire (laughs) i know i mean this doesn't sound like being kind to someone no it doesn't but means coals of kindness okay and so you're heaping you're you're giving back and making um so you're not letting that person choose the kind of reaction that you have to them you're Mm -hmm. doing the opposite of probably what they would expect it's a very interesting concept and it brings us back to this whole topic of resilience which was the title of Ed's article, he called it Resilience, I'm Back Stronger Than Ever. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you a little bit about my interest in this topic, Joni. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about it, but I want to bring you who are tuning in today to American Indian Living up to speed. Right now, if you haven't heard about it, we are in the midst of a small grant where we're working with tribes to try to help give them additional resources to help with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who listen to me, describe that. If they're working in a diabetes center, if they've uh, been getting special diabetes program funding, they're saying, well, you know, we've got a program. We're doing great work. And that is, we're seeing some really great things coming out of Indian country. But the grant that we have is to put some additional resources in people's hands. And it's especially looking at uh, what we would call comorbidities. So it's it's saying, you're focused on diabetes, but what about some things that interface with that disease? What about the mental health things that either impact the diabetes, impact the lifestyle practices that relate to diabetes? What about high blood pressure? You know, are you do you have a concerted program at a tribal level where you're helping people address high blood pressure because the complications of high blood pressure dovetail with those of diabetes? So You say, okay, what does all this have to do with resilience? Mm -hmm. I shared this with you, Joni, and we're going to really try to look at it on this program because I haven't really fully 
formulated this in my own mind. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be meeting with a tribal council in about six weeks. And I'm thinking about some of the preliminary dialogue I've had with them. And I'm actually starting to think about an interesting dynamic in Indian country. Many times, people who have native roots have looked at themselves as being victims. And in a certain sense, that's appropriate, Mm -hmm. okay? Because people, First Nation communities here in North America have not been well-treated. Correct. Okay? So it's not inappropriate to talk about that. But I'm starting to ask a question, and it came about as I was actually reading some things, looking at some materials that dealt with diabetes. And I started to think, you know, people that are dealing with diabetes, it's complications, they have an opportunity, just like Ed did. It's it's not a boss right. who's giving them a hard time. It's a disease. Right. And we have a choice, just like in the workplace when someone is treating us wrongly, mm-hmm. When a disease is treating us badly or it's threatening us, you know, we don't have any complications from the diabetes, but the health educator gives me the pamphlet, Mm -hmm. you know, what's on there? Mm -hmm. What kind of complications do we educate people with when it comes to diabetes? You know, vision loss, right? Right. Kidney problems, you know, know, problems with healing. Yeah. All that heart heart disease. Yeah. And so I may not have any of those complications, but Mm -hmm. I'm feeling threatened. Yes. And it's depressing. Yeah. Because you have this lifestyle thing that affects one of the things we love the most, eating. No, this is so on point because so many people, when they get that diagnosis of diabetes, they get depressed. Yep. Now I've got a chronic disease that I've got to deal with for the rest of my life. Right. So here's where I'm coming from, Joni. I'm starting to ask the question, are we missing an opportunity in Indian country you see, because we're focused on the complications, this bad disease. We're, it's a disease, really. I think I can make a case that Europeans basically brought diabetes on native peoples here mm-hmm. on this continent. Mm-hmm. It, you know, all the evidence is there was no diabetes before European contact, mm-hmm. and so we can emphasize the victim aspect and what we've got to do as victims, or we can say, are we being given a unique opportunity? to develop resilience. So that's where I'm coming from. I okay. know that was a long no, a long introduction. Mm-hmm. Help us to understand, first of all, what resilience is. And then I'm interested in hearing from you. I mean, whether you think I'm barking up the wrong tree, so to speak, or mm-hmm. whether you think there's cool. merit in what we're looking at. Well, let me read what I found from the dictionary, um, what, how uh, resilience is defined. So it's a noun, and it says the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness, or the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape, elasticity. Hmm. Great definitions. So when you read those, what goes through your mind? So when I when I read that, you know, it's interesting. So and actually, while you were telling your story, and then when I read this, the first thing I thought, especially with that first definition, was about Viktor Frankl when he was in the concentration mm-hmm. camps, and how he, what he found is the folks that identified a purpose were the ones that survived, and really that meant they were resilient. So some people died, and some people lived. They all had the same conditions. But the people that survived were those that found a purpose, mm-hmm. and they made them resilient enough to survive during the concentration camps. And he wrote that famous book, what man's search, right, for, search meaning. for meaning. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, 
No, I, that's, I think that's a very interesting parallel. So put in this, um, this terrible situation, again, a victim, right. where he could have said, I'm just a victim, there's no point, I'm being abused, I'm being mistreated. But instead, he found purpose in that context. Right. So I think that's a tremendous parallel. So what do you think about this, Joni? You're, you've got your doctorate in public health. I know you've done a lot with uh, chronic diseases, with infectious diseases, and the whole gamut of things you've worked with over the years. What do you think? Do you think we're missing an opportunity from what you've seen in Indian country or, I mean, anywhere in any segment of the population? Should we be talking with people who have chronic diseases saying, you have an opportunity to develop resilience that you didn't have before the diagnosis? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually think it's not just for the foes that have the diabetes. I think it's for their caregivers as well. I think it's for the whole gamut of folks. Now you're really starting to stretch my mind. (laughs) So you're basically saying when I have a loved one who now has the diagnosis of diabetes, maybe it's a child, maybe it's type 1 diabetes, you know, not anywhere near as common as type Mm -hmm. 2, but they're diagnosed with diabetes and now we have to change the whole family diet. Absolutely. We have to change the whole way we operate as a family because Johnny or Susie or whoever it is has diabetes. And now they're checking blood sugars. We're giving insulin shots. And you're saying instead of feeling like something was thrust on me that I didn't want, mm-hmm. this is an opportunity to develop resilience. Absolutely. Absolutely. The second definition you mentioned was about resilient substances. Correct. So if I've got a spring Mm -hmm. and I jump on that spring, it's going to bounce back, right? Mm -hmm. A rubber band, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Those are resilient substances, Mm -hmm. but it's just intrinsically what they are. They don't change. Mm -hmm. We want to talk some more, Joni, about how we can change Mm -hmm. in ways that can make us more resilient. Before we go there, we've just got a few moments in this segment. We want to kind of give our listeners a little idea where we're headed. Any things immediately come to mind, things that can help us be more resilient? I think definitely um, where you have good communication Mm. and where you have that sense that somebody has your back. I think that really helps. This is really important. So we're going to talk about interpersonal relationships. And in fact, it's one of the things that Dr. Ed Dunn highlighted in his article. So we want to go back to that. We want to talk about interpersonal relationships. Then we want to talk about how the thing that you think today is a curse, the thing that you think you're struggling with, the thing that is victimizing you, actually can be the key to strengthening you, making you even more an asset in your family and your community. You don't want to miss this dialogue. We've got a lot more coming up on American Indian Living. Stay tuned. Much more right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen, high blood pressure can cause kidney damage blindness, heart attack, stroke, and you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit received. 
respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. Joni Bakavoy. We're speaking about the topic of resilience, and we're doing it in a venue where there are lots of resilient people. We are at the National Tribal Health Conference sponsored by the National Indian Health Board here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I say there are a lot of resilient people here because I look at Native Americans as being some of the most uh, resilient people in the world. And it has a lot to do with many of the challenges uh, that they've faced over the years. And actually, Joni, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes as we've been speaking in this program, the things that we look like or the things that we look at that seem like they're calculated to just drive us into the dirt can help us be stronger, can't they? Absolutely. We promised in this segment that we'd look at factors that help us to be more resilient. And you brought us back to Ed Dunn's article. We've been talking, if you just joined us, about an exciting article, a short, succinct article on resilience by Dr. Ed Dunn that appeared in an issue of American Indian Living, the magazine. And... Ed shared that one of the things that helped him to be resilient was his family relationships. In fact, I'll quote something from the article. He says, researchers such as Dr. Kitty Freer-Randall say, resilience is the capacity to maintain or develop competent functioning in the face of major life stressors, and it is increased by family and social supports, relational connectedness, meaningful activity, and exercise. So we want to speak about, especially right now, about those social supports and relationships. And you have a unique window on this because you worked for some large healthcare organizations dealing with things that uh, related to resilience and had to pull in this whole social component. Tell us your story a little bit in that la- in that area. So um, what we found in healthcare over the years is 
it's not when you try to improve something it's not just about trying to improve that you have to have a culture that supports that improvement to happen and supports the caregivers in making that happen and as we started understanding trying to understand culture more we realized that resilience was a really important aspect of that and that caregiver resilience was huge so it wasn't just the resilience of our patients it was really the resilience of those who are taking care of the patients Hmm. To really address that, we worked with a couple psychologists and also healthcare leaders that deal with uh, teamwork and safety. And one of them was uh, Dr. Sexton um, from Duke University, Dr. Brian Sexton. And he's done a gr- lot of great work with resilience and really focusing on what can be done to really help people become more resilient and help others be more resilient. And some of the things that he shared with us or just some basic things. And it's interesting because a lot of it is just like your basic things that help you be healthy. Hmm. So one of it was sleep. So sleep is a big one. Okay. And sometimes we underestimate the importance of sleep and rest. Hmm. And so um, he shared how important sleep was because you need to have at least four hours of REM sleep in order to really have a good night's sleep. And you know how a lot of times you try to go to sleep and you're not in a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. You might turn the TV on. Well, don't turn the TV on and go to sleep with the TV on because it's really hard to get down to your REM sleep when there's noise and other things going on. You want a quiet environment. You want to actually do some prep before you go to sleep. And another thing that he recommended before you go to sleep is try to think of three good things that mm. happened the day before and write them down and do that for at least two weeks because it helps give you a mindset of more of a positive focus. Mm -hmm. And so that as your mind is dwelling on things as you're going into sleep, you're a lot more restful. Hmm. And then having that four hours of REM sleep, of course, helps as well. So many people have heard of REM sleep. stands for rapid eye movement, right? It's a a deeper stage. Well, I mean, it's a, it's later in the night, let's say. You, you don't go right into REM no. unless uh, you're extremely deprived. Sometimes you, you there's this REM rebound. Uh, I'm starting to get over my head because <laughs> okay. I haven't reviewed sleep physiology in quite a while. But yeah. the bottom line is even if you sleep four and a half hours, you didn't get four hours of REM sleep. Correct. So for someone to get that four hours of REM, is there a uh, – I know you can't generalize, right. but – does it generally take so much time in bed to get four hours of REM? So ideally, you'd have around six to eight hours of okay. regular sleep and for the whole time period um, because it usually takes about an hour to get down into a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. And then you usually start waking up early in the morning. And so usually if you slept six hours, that would be like the least amount of time if you could sleep to actually get around four hours of REM. Okay. Eight is better. And again, I'm assuming, you know, we're kind of speaking REM. Deep sleep. Yeah, not just REM, but the, you know, deeper stages of sleep Correct. and things, right? Yeah, so, uh, and again, probably, uh, you know, uh, without the sleep physiologist sitting here beside us, you know, you've got a couple of people with with strong backgrounds in public health, and uh, yeah, I think we're both kind of stretching our, our limits here. I'm wondering, I am, I know I am, maybe you're not, but I'm, yeah. I'm saying, you know, as I'm talking about this, it sounds like we're talking a lot about, you know, the deeper stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. So Joni, here's the thing. 
a lot of people are cutting themselves short on sleep. Some of it is by choice. Other times it's because of circumstances. But what we're saying is if you're not getting enough sleep, this is going to impact your ability to be resilient. So if I go to the workplace Mm. and in the case of the scenario that we talked about with Ed Dunn, Mm-hmm. Someone is not treating me right in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Instead of bouncing back like the rubber band that's resilient, I may snap. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is not going to do good things for no. the organization or for me, is Correct. it? No. So I'm trying to understand these connections. So you're working for big hospital chains. That's one of the mm-hmm. things you've done over the years. I know one of those uh, groups is one of the big ones that we have out on the West Coast mm-hmm. called Adventist Health. Mm-hmm. And you were working, as you shared in a previous show, with one of the things you were dealing with was preventing overwhelming infection that we call mm-hmm. sepsis. You were working, though, very closely with providers of health services. Correct. Why is there this connection with resilience? I know you've mentioned it, but I'm just really trying to to make that connection tight. So if, if the providers are not resilient, how does that impact what they do in the workplace? He has a huge impact on their attitude mm. because attitude is something that um, you, you, in order to really control the way you interact and react to others, you really need to have um, internally, you have to have a resilient spirit. Mm. And so it's um, making sure you're at your best when you're interacting, so you're not just reacting, mm-hmm. but you're actually having control over how you act and interact with folks. So basically, if I'm wanting to impact an organization, then don't just talk about concrete goals, mm-hmm. but focus on people. Correct. Absolutely. Huge. And help our people be as resilient as possible. Correct. Okay, so I'm getting some of these points. So you say, good care of my general health, things like getting adequate sleep. I think both you and Ed have mentioned physical exercise and nutrition. We're also talking about how we deal with difficulties. And again, I am I just want to make sure that that we're really talking about something that resonates with people. When I say that that bad diagnosis is an opportunity to develop resiliency or resilience, someone could take the flip side of it, couldn't they, Joni, and say, no, that is going to push me over the brink. Uh, How do you respond to that? So what I I would want to say to them is it's a great opportunity to look at some of the positives as mm. a result of this. And I know you don't think there's any positives to diabetes, but one of the big positives, it helps you start looking at the ways to be more healthy. Mm. And so that's a big positive. Um, you have a chance to learn about your body more, which mm-hmm. is a positive. You have a chance to maybe have ask for support and be supported. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's actually a good thing. Um, because in life, you're always going to have the negative. In fact, the negative, we found that people that have no negatives, have no challenges in their lives, actually don't thrive either. Mm. It's kind of the flip side. It's like you always have to have a little bit of the of the challenges in order to really have a chance to, to have that positive impact and make something better. Um, in fact, there is that research um, where they talk about the three to one ratio 
the pos- I don't know if you've seen the positivity book, and mm. I actually don't remember the name of the author. I can okay. actually look it up really quick. Uh-huh. Um, but um, what this research did is looked at the ratio of positive to negative, and for folks to actually thrive, they needed to have some type of negative in their life, but they needed to have like a three-to-one ratio, hmm. so more positive things to counteract the negative. And then if you think about it, you never have just one thing negative. There's a lot of negative. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go through your day, you could probably focus on so many of the negative things. In fact, right. we're hardwired for the negative. Mm. You know, if you have a rattlesnake rattles, you'll always remember that, right? Mm-hmm. That's a negative. Mm-hmm. You want to get out of the way in that fight or flight. If something, um, if you're driving down the street and somebody starts to swerve into you, you're going to want to make sure that you are, can swerve away from them. Um, and so there's always that negative. No, this is fascinating stuff, and we've got a lot more practical material, especially dealing with relationships. We're going to be talking more about that in our next segment. You're listening to American Indian Living. The topic is resilience. How does this relate to diabetes, to other challenges you might be facing? And how could the things that, well, look most threatening to you today, how could they actually be perhaps the stepping stones to a healthier and more vibrant life? We'll be talking with Joni Bakavoy more in the next segment. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. You're listening to American Indian Living. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me, Dr. Joni Bakavoy. We're speaking about the subject of resilience. And Joni, you were sharing with us some insights into this relationship between positive and negatives. And I'm assuming these are interactions between people? Absolutely. Any kind of interpersonal reactions, interactions. So if you and I, let's say, uh, we're going to work together, mm-hmm. and I'm not giving you a job offer. I know you have an extended one to me, <laughs> but, I mean, who knows? I'd be happy to work with you in mm-hmm. some capacity. But let's say we're working on some kind of a project, and I'm telling you all the things that you're doing wrong. I don't know what those would be because you seem to be quite competent, but let's say I didn't like the color of your top or Mm -hmm. your shoes or whatever, how you have your hair. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things you're hearing from me. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I say, oh, yeah, by the way, that was a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Is this sounding like we might uh, not be destined to work together for very long? It does. It does. So tell us how this works, this three to one, or is that the ideal ratio? So the ideal, I mean, this is from a researcher. Her name was Barbara Fredrickson, and she categorized that at least you had to have a three to one, three positive to one negative Uh in order to thrive in a relationship. Okay. so And actually to thrive in life. And and she, as you told me at the break, she especially looked at marriages. Is that right? She looked at marriages, and so she looked at interactions. And so it wasn't that the, um, couples weren't having tough conversations. It was how they interacted with each other, uh-huh. with humor, um, respectful, listening to the other, um, as opposed to being very negative. Okay. So did I understand it right? They interview a bunch of people. They categorize whether their interaction on different levels is positive or negative, and then they followed them over time. Correct. So what happens to those who uh, maybe had a one-to-one ratio? More than likely, they were divorced. Really? Correct. So even though they're giving equal affirmation, doing equal amount of good things as bad communication or whatever, however you want to label it, they didn't stick together. It's yeah, it's because the negative so is so much more powerful than the positive. Mm. The negative is almost like more draining. And so that's why you need so much positive to interact with it. I mean, think about right now in our you know, when you listen to news, think of how much negative oh, information sure. you get. Um, when you think of um, when you I mean, just day by day, there's so much no, negative. No. And so you actually have to search out the positive. Huh. And um, what I think is really important is searching out. And as you start thinking of what is positive. So if you if you did it even at night, think of three good things that happened to you that day. Uh-huh. It helps change your mindset to start looking for positive things. Hmm. Now, this three good things. Mm-hmm. This was um, a concept, a research concept, but you actually used it in working with hospital employee groups. Is that true? Correct. So what did you find? What kind of responses did you get from people who said, I've been doing these, you know, every night before I go to bed, I try to think of three things to be thankful for from that day, right? Correct. So what we found, and so what the research showed was after two weeks, that it was actually almost as effective or it was actually more effective than Prozac hmm. in patients that were not, they were mildly depressed. So it wasn't the severely mm-hmm. depressed. Mm-hmm. It was more the mildly depressed. Hmm. But what we found in the folks that we worked with is the folks that did that, 
they started just doing it on a regular basis. They started to do it at meetings. They started to think of three good things at a meeting, like before mm. they had it with an employee, okay. that they would think three good things about the employee versus um, just focusing on the negative, which a lot of times we do when we're evaluating something. You know, we're all about fixing the negative. But what if we think of more from the perspective of the positive and how we can make the positive happen? So now I'm trying to see how you applied this in the workplace. Did you actually try to promote a culture where, in, say, an annual evaluation process, that even someone who was really struggling, maybe not meeting those benchmarks, that the supervisor would still try to find three positive things to say for every negative? Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. And actually, now, you know, one of our focus at, our, at the Adventist Health, one of their focuses is actually focusing on strengths. So mm. instead of focusing on the weakness, it's really focusing on strengths and matching people up with jobs that are in line with what their strengths are. This is very, very interesting. So what we're actually saying here is how resilient you are is partly controlled by what you do. Absolutely how you respond to things, but there is also a profound effect on us and our resiliency that comes from other people. Absolutely. So here's the question, and it comes back to this uh, article by Ed Dunn, and we keep returning to it in this show. We're quoting from Dr. Ed Dunn in American Indian Living Magazine. This is uh, volume eight, issue number one his article, Resilience, I'm Back Stronger Than Ever. And basically, we painted the picture of how Ed was uh, working, actually, uh, we haven't given all that much detail, but he was working as a laborer, as he put it. He was the, the lowest paid person on the job doing the hardest work. And he speaks about all the manual work he was doing. Uh, sounds like, you know, maybe a construction firm that he was working with. But he says the hardest part of that job was an immediate supervisor who was very disrespectful, uh, wouldn't call him by his real name, uh, would swear at him, you know, yell all kinds of things at him. So Ed, as he talks about his story and his journey, he says that one of the things that helped him be resilient, let me put it this way, as I look back at my own experience, maybe it was my own parents nurturing relationship that helped me to bounce back and grow stronger than ever. So Ed shared in that article about his solid family upbringing, but a lot of people don't have that, Joni. Right. So if he can write, what helped me bounce back was my strong family, what about the person who says, I got a lousy family and... Uh, I come home, and if the workplace was stressful, it's even worse at home. Yeah. Uh, what do we say to someone like that? Well, I would actually say to find outside support and connections. Mm. So maybe mm. a best friend. Okay. Um, maybe an aunt or somebody outside of the, of the home. So we're still saying it's important that we have these affirming relationships. Absolutely. But what we're saying is if you're surrounded by bad relationships in the workplace, try to surround yourself with good, encouraging relationships outside of the workplace. Right. And it may be true in the home life too, right? Right. If the home life is very negative, 
try to find in the workplace, in your friends, in your other social interactions, right. encouraging relationships. Absolutely. You've worked practically in this area. You just haven't read books and talking about it on the radio. Right. A lot of times people say, okay, I got it. I've heard the message here. We're trying to be resilient. We can have bad things happen to us. It can be a diagnosis of diabetes. It could be a diabetic complication. It could be a stroke from the high blood pressure, whatever it is. Some of these things may be permanent. Mm -hmm. Legs don't grow back after they've been amputated. Some people have strokes and they never fully recover. But other things we can bounce back from. And the mental, the behavioral effects, we can often bounce back from, right? Right, right. So as you've worked with people going through these processes, have you heard stories or have you given counsel to people who at one point seemed, hey, I just can't make this work. I'm burned out. I'm depressed. Whatever language they used, I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm getting out of here. But somehow you shared something or they discovered something that helped them turn the corner. So a couple things that I can think of, and I think it's an actual direct experience. Um, and it was actually with somebody that had diabetes. Uh-huh. And they were really struggling, um, having a hard time, uh, really bad home situation, mm. which is kind of what you had, um, kind of touched on. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things we talked about is you can't change that part, but you can um, change kind of some of the things that you do for yourself. And so a couple things that we did is um, one was to connect that person with um, a church. It was a a faith group. Uh And um, it was a chance to really understand and develop that connection with a higher power Uh and with God. And that that was really, really effective with that person. And um, the other thing, and I know this um, may sound um, kind of different, but it's, it's really a sense of humor. Hmm. is finding some things um, where they could get together with friends and laugh about things. And mm-hmm. so it was actually going to funny movies. Okay. Um, that was a chance to just kind of let go and just relax and uh-huh. laugh with their friends. Huh. Interesting. So I, I'm interested in both these, these aspects that you mentioned. So, you know, I've heard people, you know, talk about humor in different ways and One of my good friends in Indian country reminds me of how the value of humor is, uh, at least in his experience, held really across tribal lines Mm -hmm. and how powerful that is in the whole communication process as well as in in relationships. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, coming back to the first point, things that we can do for ourselves, ways that we can reframe how we look at things. If someone right now, Joni is saying, okay, I hear what you guys are discussing. I could be more positive myself, maybe they're saying. Mm -hmm. I could get into relationships that are more affirming. But when they heard you speak about a church, for some people that's very empowering, Mm -hmm. other people that's distressing because you and I both know Mm -hmm. that a variety of things happen. Absolutely. In faith communities. Absolutely. And we hear about it in the news sometimes, right. things that are usually not very good right. that can happen in those environments. Um, I'm thinking of a patient right now 
this young lady had some bad things happen in a faith community. And this caused her to not only be polarized from that faith community, but from her entire family that were members of that uh, particular uh, religious denomination. And so those kind of things can happen. You say, well, get connected with a faith community. That may be very uh, discouraging for some people, right? Absolutely. And I get your point. And actually, that isn't for everyone. Mm -hmm. But to develop some kind of connection with a higher power, I think, is very important. And also even just going outdoors Mm. and getting away and going someplace beautiful, I think, is very helpful. These two things are so important. And I don't want to undermine the faith community aspect because, to be honest with you, I think it is an underutilized resource. I mean, if we look at many behavioral health studies, many interventional studies, they've used faith communities because they are environments for many people that are powerfully supportive, right? Right. Absolutely. So we're trying to speak, you know, to the whole continuum here. And what we're saying is, if you're listening today to American Indian Living and you feel that you need to be more resilient, you want to bounce back instead of just laying on the ground, you're hearing Dr. Joni Bakavoy saying, hey, start thinking about positive things even as you're laying on the ground. Start looking up instead of looking down. We've got some other very powerful things that you can do coming up in our final segment of today's show. You don't want to miss them. We will be right back after a couple of minutes of messages that you don't want to miss either. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. 
Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. We're speaking about the topic of resilience, how when you're knocked down, not only can you get up, but you can bounce back perhaps stronger than ever before. But sometimes it seems that the deck is stacked against us. I've been speaking with Dr. Joni Bakavoy, who has personal experience working with organizations trying to help people be more resilient. And Joni, I'll tell you, we've been speaking about some things people can do, how they can, even in the midst of difficulties, bounce back. And as we were, during the break, speaking together, I think you helped to really hone in on something that's so powerful. Tell us about it. Well, what I was thinking, or what I was remembering, was back when I was in a psychology class, and there was a comment about Carl Menninger, how he had said that, if um, everybody would find somebody worse off than them to help, that there would be no need for psychiatric institutions because he felt that that had such a powerful impact on people, and it does. And I've seen it in my own life. When I'm really down and I'm just frustrated, if I stop thinking about myself Mm -hmm. and I find someone else to help and really make an impact on that person's life or you know, find find someone who's really struggling. It has such a big impact on me because now I'm not thinking about myself. My mind's on helping that other person. And all of a sudden, my problems look so much less. This is such a powerful concept. It, it really came home to me many years ago when I was a medical student. I'm not particularly prone to depression, but hey, all of us can get down. We can have bad days, bad weeks, bad months, whatever it is. And, uh, I was particularly down that that day. I was living in a dorm at the time, and someone came into my room, and I don't know what they were dealing with. I don't remember, but they were just in bad shape, and I felt constrained to try to encourage them. And I don't know how long I spent with them, but after they walked out of my room, I realized that not only had I encouraged them, I'd encouraged myself. So, I mean, yeah, this is powerful. So this whole idea, and I know it's so ingrained in Native culture, the idea of giving back. Right. But I think we we too often in those settings that bring us down, we disqualify ourselves from, from giving back. And I know I was speaking here at the conference just informally on more than one occasion with this tendency we have, I would say, to disqualify ourselves from, from helping people. Right. You know, so someone looks at themselves and they say, you know, I got diabetes. I'm overweight. I can't help anyone else with diabetes until I get my own diabetes under control. Until I lose weight, I can't tell anyone else that it would be good to lose weight or encourage them to do that. And I say, no, that's not the way to look at it. I mean, I try to be more gentle than, right. than just being mm-hmm. so, you know, upfront like that. But I say, mm-hmm. you're in a position to go on that journey with someone else. Right. And to say, hey, you know, I've been 
trying to drop some pounds or trying to exercise, or I've been having problems, just be honest. Yeah. Say, maybe we can exercise together. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's too crazy a concept, Joni? I love it. I love it. In fact, I'm going to be using that in my own life more because I was one of the people that said, until I lose weight, I thought, how can I tell somebody else to get more healthy and lose weight? I mean, it's so common. I was telling someone at the booth a story about our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. When that book came out, a physician bought 50, 60 copies of the book, okay? Mm -hmm. I heard from um, him probably six months later, and I said, you know, how's the book going? You know, how, how's it working? I'm not giving it out. You know, well, I, you know, you bought these to give out to your patients. What's going on? I've got high blood pressure myself. You know, I'd be, mm -hmm. I'd be a hypocrite. Well, as we got to talking, I don't think he'd even read the book. He definitely wasn't putting a lot of things into practice in the book. But, but I didn't tell him, hey, you got to do X, Y, and Z, you know, read page, you know, 97, page uh, 222. <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh -huh. I said, you know, what I think you need to do mm -hmm. is you need to start giving those books out. And in your office, have a program for people with high blood pressure. And go on the journey with your patients. Absolutely. And I think that connected with him, whether he actually did it. This mm -hmm. person lives many miles away, and I don't hear from all that frequently. But uh, the point was, instead of looking at these bad things that happened to us as disqualifying us, they actually, in some sense, qualify us. They give us credibility, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I've worked with all kinds of health professionals. I remember someone pulling me aside once. I think it was some, you know, thin young lady giving a talk to people who were overweight. And they all said, oh, this this girl doesn't know what she's talking mm -hmm. about. You know, she's never dealt with weight problems in her life, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it was true. Now, it doesn't mean you can't help someone if you've never had the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. But the point is... We have a level of credibility if we're on the journey with people, and they know it, don't they? Absolutely. So, Joni, I hear you making some powerful arguments. If I see that I've got a disease, a condition, a problem, a family situation that I don't like, instead of saying, this is bad, this is hurting me, no, I'm in a situation that's giving me a greater capacity to help other people with the same problem, huh? Absolutely. In fact, someone with your same, if you help somebody, so you get a little bit better with um, your diabetes and you help somebody else, they will listen to you and you will have an incredible impact on that person. You know, I was hearing a story recently. Someone was talking about how they were in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the nurses came in and what a terrible experience it was. This person had just gone through a major surgery and this nurse was just treating them like they were a bag of potatoes. Uh. And, you know, you know, I don't know what they were doing, changing mm -hmm. the sheets or, you know, doing some kind of care mm -hmm. for them. And it was just such a terrible experience. The next day, mm -hmm. a different nurse came in to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And this person was kind of dreading, you know, this experience. And he said, this person was so kind. You know, is this okay? Am, am I moving you too quickly? And uh -huh. he said, he just had to say, you know, he said, I don't, I have to tell you this. He said, there was a person here yesterday who did the same thing. I had a terrible experience. And, and with you, this was just very pleasant. Mm -hmm. And she told him a secret. She said, I had had the same surgery you had. Wow. 
and it just kind of drives home this point, yeah. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because when we're on the journey together, right. we can empathize with people. Huge, yeah. And uh, instead of that nurse mm-hmm. having been impaired mm-hmm. because she had gone through this difficult experience, it increased her ability to care for other people. Right. So can that happen with diabetes? Absolutely. Diabetes diagnosis? Absolutely. Absolutely. How about high blood pressure? Oh, absolutely. Heart Same attack? Thing. Everything. <laughs> it's like the whole gamut. <laughs> so this is a crazy show and it's a crazy concept and people kind of think it sounds crazy to begin with, yeah. but what we're telling people and what we're, we're sharing on this show, and right. we're really, we, this is not a scripted program, we're saying that something bad is happening in your life, instead of that disqualifying you, it's giving you resources that you can draw from to help other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I have to say something at this juncture. You alluded to the power of community, mm-hmm. the power of a creator, the power of a spiritual mm-hmm. help. And uh, there is a short passage that uh, someone who's known in many faith traditions as the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that was having a lot of problems. Uh, It was the church in a town called Corinth, or a city. And uh, when he wrote his second letter to this group, and I'm paraphrasing it, he said, uh, you know, we've got a loving creator. He called him the Father of Mercies and the God of all comfort. And then he said this, This Creator comforts us in all our difficulties so that we might be able to comfort others who have any kind of difficulty using the comfort that we were given. That's awesome. So in the midst of our sufferings, there are spiritual resources, there are physical resources, there are sources of comfort that can help us be better caregivers, whether we have that designation as a result of our training or just as human beings going on this journey together. Well, Joni, our time has just about slipped away. Before we go, we still may not have connected with some of our listeners. Do you feel like there's any succinct messages that you'd like to leave before we finish? You know, the last thing I was thinking about um, (laughs) is forgiveness. Mm. So that's actually something we all have to deal with. Sometimes forgiving people that uh, hurt us and may not say they're sorry or ask for forgiveness. And although you don't think it's something that impacts your health or impacts your resilience, it's a huge part of resilience. So think about that as one of your tools. Wow. Tremendous stuff. Your difficulties, your challenges are some of the very things that can put you in a better position to help others, can help you be more resilient. That's the message today from American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.